If I was to ask you, <clears throat> what are your main priorities and the chief principles by which you order your life, what would your answer be? Our Savior teaches that we are to seek first His kingdom and His righteousness. And the book of Proverbs offers practical instruction on how we may seek God's kingdom and righteousness so that we may order our lives according to kingdom priorities and principles. I invite you to open your Bibles with me this morning to the book of Proverbs. You began a series of studies there last Lord's Day. And we looked at the inspired penmen of Proverbs, that is Solomon, and we considered Solomon's unparalleled wisdom. We noticed the sources of Solomon's unparalleled wisdom <clears throat> came ultimately from God, and it was also taught him by his righteous father David and godly mother we saw the fame of Solomon's unparalleled wisdom. It reached to the extent far and wide in the, in the world of his day, so much so that it attracted people to come, to sit at his feet, to learn of his wisdom. And then we noted the record of Solomon's unparalleled wisdom. It is embalmed in the printer's ink of inspired scripture, the book of Proverbs, the book of Ecclesiastes, the book of Song of Solomon, especially this book of Proverbs that includes wise principles for living in this fallen world to the glory of God. And then we saw the focus of Solomon's unparalleled wisdom last time, just began to open up that idea, and that is the children, young people in particular, and that will be the focus of of our attention this morning as we consider the prologue of Proverbs is found in the first nine verses and it speaks of our need for wisdom and the fear of the Lord. The first nine verses of Proverbs chapter 1 is Solomon's prologue to the rest of the book of Proverbs and here he establishes the basic principles for all of his more specific teaching which is to follow. Please follow with me as I read the first nine verses of Proverbs chapter 1. The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to discern the sayings of understanding, to receive instruction in wise behavior, righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the naive, to the youth, knowledge, and discretion. A wise man will hear and increase in learning, and a man of understanding will acquire wise counsel, to understand a proverb and a figure, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and do not forsake your mother's teaching, 
Indeed, they are a graceful wreath to your head and ornaments about your neck. Now this morning, as we come to consider just a few of these verses, verses 2 through 6 this morning, we're going to consider, first of all, the primary persons addressed in Proverbs. Secondly, the practical purpose of Proverbs. Thirdly, the precious promise offered in Proverbs. And then, God willing, next week, we will look at the pious principle inherent in wisdom, that is, the fear of the Lord. And then finally, in verses 8 and 9, the parental plea to receive wisdom. So let us consider, first of all, this morning, the primary persons addressed in Proverbs, and they are introduced to us in verse 4. Now, brethren, though the book of Proverbs is intended for people of all ages and situations, King Solomon has a special primary audience in mind when he writes. We meet them in verse 4. To give prudence to the naive, to the youth, knowledge and discretion. Now, notice that the wise king describes his primary audience with two terms. They are the young and the naive. They are the same people. Now, who are they? Who are the young and who are the naive? Well, if we're going to be like a, a careful criminal investigator who gathers information from eyewitness testimony to draw a composite sketch to identify a person of interest. Let us explore how these two terms are used in the Old Testament, especially by Solomon in the book of Proverbs, to sketch out his primary audience. We're going to look at the various characteristics of these ones called youth and naive, so that we can have a three-dimensional picture of who Solomon primarily has in mind in the book of Proverbs. First, they are the youth. This, of course, speaks in terms of their age. This is the same word that the young king, probably around 20 years old at the time, used to describe himself in his prayer for wisdom to God in 1 Kings chapter 3. It's the word na'ar. 1 Kings 3 and verse 7. God asked Solomon, what would, you, what would you ask for? And now Solomon says, O Lord my God, thou hast made me thy servant king in place of my father David. Yet I am but a little child. Here's our word. I do not know how to come, uh, go out, or to come in. And we saw last time that this expressed Solomon's wisdom early on, even before God gave him the plethora of understanding of things that nobody else under the sun had ever known before God visited Solomon with that gift of wisdom. It, it, he confesses his ignorance, his inexperience. He sees himself as just but a little child, to use the language in other portions of Scripture, I don't know my left hand from my right hand. That's a good place to be if you want to learn wisdom. 
Now, what does Proverbs teach about youth? Well, mainly this. The young need discipline and instruction. Several passages in Proverbs plainly explain the reason why. Proverbs 22 and verse 15. Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child, an R. Foolishness is all wrapped up and bound up in the heart of a child. And therefore the rod of discipline will remove it far from him. So when we come into this world, our hearts are foolish. We're not wise. No, the, the effect of sin in our lives has made our hearts foolish. Proverbs 22 and verse 6, train up a child, there's our word again, in the way that he should go. Children often have an idea how they should live. They don't know the way that they should go. They need parental instruction and guidance to mold them and to prepare them for their lives. They don't know the way. Proverbs 23 and verse 13, do not hold back discipline from the child. We are to give our children the rod of corporal reproof and correction. Although you beat him with the rod, he will not die. Rather, he'll be disciplined if the word, if the rod and reproof are used prudently. Proverbs 20 and verse 11. It is by his deeds that a lad, there's our word again, distinguishes himself if his conduct is pure and right. Well, how did his conduct become pure and right? Did he just wake up and put his feet on, out on the right side of the bed one day? And all of a sudden, he's prudent. He distinguishes himself. He lives a life that's pure and right. No, the assumption there is he's been taught. He's been disciplined. He's been molded by his parents. The second word in our composite picture of Solomon's primary audience is more descriptive. The word translated naive in the New American Standard Bible, your translation may read simple or inexperienced, is found in several places in the book of Proverbs. It's found in the Psalms. It's found once in Ezekiel and once in Exodus. One Hebrew dictionary says of the word translated naive or simple, pethi is the word. I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right. The basic verb idea is to be open, spacious, wide, and might relate to the immature or simple one who is open to all kinds of enticement, not having developed discriminating judgment as to what is right or wrong. It goes on to say, enticement is described in terms of a man seducing a woman, Exodus 22 and verse 15. The immature are warned not to be enticed by sinners, Proverbs chapter 1 and verse 10. This writer goes on to say, another arresting usage of enticement is what happens when a man refuses to follow God's direction. He is enticed to do wrong to his ultimate hurt, a discipline or judgment for rejecting the Lord. 
Well, let us look at a number of texts and see if this is indeed so. Proverbs 1 and verse 22. How long, O naive ones, will you love simplicity? The father is saying here, isn't it about time, son or daughter, that you've grown up? How long are you going to, to continue to love simplicity or naivete? This word simplicity and naive ones here is the same word. What Solomon is saying is the naive love to be naive. They want to remain youth. They don't want to grow up. Proverbs 1 and verse 32. For waywardness, the waywardness of the naive. Well, Solomon says it will destroy them. But this is their waywardness. This is their tendency to turn aside. Their tendency toward apostasy. To walk away from the instruction that they received at home. Proverbs 7 and verse 7. And I saw among the naive... I discerned among the youths a man lacking sense. And this word for sense is, is a word commonly used in the Old Testament to speak of heart, of his mind, of his will. He lacks common sense. His heart goes after the wrong things. Proverbs 8 and verse 5. O naive ones, discern Prudence. In other words, focus your attention upon those things that are prudent. Show proper shrewdness. See, the problem is they lack good judgment. Proverbs 9 and verse 4, and this is wisdom speaking. Whoever is naive, let him turn in here. To him who lacks understanding, that's parallel with being naive. To him who lacks understanding, she says, and then she goes on to speak. See, a naive person lacks understanding. He needs to be educated. <clears throat> Proverbs 9 and verse 16. And now this is the not the wise woman speaking. This isn't wisdom speaking. This is the adulterous woman speaking. And notice she uses the same language as the wise woman. Whoever is naive, let him turn in here. And to him who lacks understanding, she says, stolen water is sweet and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he does not know. You see, he's naive. But he does not know that the dead are there. Those are the people that visit her. The dead are there, that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. You see, the naive are susceptible to temptations, to immorality. They go in with blinders on to their own temporal and sometimes eternal hurt. Proverbs 14 and verse 15. The naive believes everything. But the prudent, see here's the antithesis, the naive believes everything, but the prudent man considers his steps, he weighs his steps, he thinks of the outcome of the direction that he's going. You see, the naive tend to be gullible. They'll believe lots of things that a wise person would never even consider believing. 
Proverbs 14, 18. The naive inherit folly. This is the consequence of their being inexperienced and enjoying their being inexperienced. But the prudent are crowned with knowledge. Proverbs 19 and verse 25. And likewise, 21 and verse 11 reads very similarly. Strike a scoffer and the naive may become shrewd. Now, there's different ways to understand this, that they'll just learn how to do evil and not be struck. They're going to be shrewd and to do an end run around the kind of punishment that they continue to, uh, uh, of the evil things that others are struck for. No, but I think that this person, he lacks prudence. Now he sees someone being disciplined. And he says, well, maybe I better not do that. This is where I'm going to end up. My dad used to say, and he was not a Christian, he say, a smart man learns from his own mistakes, but a wise man, he learns from what? The mistakes of others. So does the prudent man, you see. The naive, 1418, inherit folly, but the prudent are crowned with knowledge. Verse 20, chapter 21, verse 1, when the scoffer is punished, the naive become wise. Verse 20, chapter 22, verse 3, the prudent sees the evil and hides himself. You see, he has foresight. He sees the effect of his wrongdoing. He turns himself in the right direction. He sees the evil and hides himself, but the naive go on and are punished for it. See, they lack foresight and good judgment. They're whistling in the dark. They continue in the way of folly, and they're punished for it. Proverbs 27, in verse 12, A prudent man sees evil and hides himself. The naive proceed and pay the penalty. See, often the young, they have this kind of careless sense, this proud bravado in the face of danger. You know, Hold my beard. Watch me. Watch, watch this. They get themselves in trouble, sometimes injured, sometimes they die. Ezekiel, the word is used, chapter 45, and verse 20, for everyone who goes astray or is naive. Those who go astray often are naive. They're easily distracted from duty, they're led into sin. So what do we see here? Well, a composite picture of the naive young person reveals these characteristics. They are susceptible to being led astray. They lack prudence, foresight, good judgment, and understanding. They are easily tempted, especially to sexual sin. They tend to be gullible, careless, and they suffer the consequences of their naivete. Anybody in this room experienced these things? Are there any young people here that want to avoid these things? Now, lest you think that that Solomon is just a cranky, old man who enjoys picking on the young, think again. He lived long enough to regret that he didn't always practice what he preached. He didn't always follow 
the teaching of his father David. You see, Solomon would warn us to do as he says and not to follow him as he lived. And that's, that's what the book of Ecclesiastes is all about. Further, not only do the young and naive need instruction and discipline, but also those older and more knowledgeable. We need instruction. We need discipline, even us older ones. We have blind spots and pockets of resistance to discipline ourselves. I suggest that few persons are more to be pitied than naive adults, especially grown-ups who excuse or even defend their folly. I'm just young at heart. And they continue to run in the way of wickedness. It is especially tragic when children imitate the naivete of a mother or a father who just hasn't grown up or in his later years has forsaken wisdom and gone back to the paths of wickedness. It is evident that a truly wise person is not one who thinks that he has arrived, but who knows that he hasn't, who confesses his need to continue to grow in wisdom. He is like the Apostle Paul, not thinking that he has nothing more to learn or areas that need growth, but instead he continues to press on toward perfection. What does the Apostle Paul say in Philippians 3 and verse 12? Not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on in order that I may lay hold of that for which I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. He says, I'm still in the race. I'm still in the fight. I haven't laid down the weapons of my warfare. I'm in this to the end. And we know that. Look at 2 Timothy 4 and verse 13. Very last letter, the very last chapter of the last letter that Paul wrote. Paul the aged. Paul writes to Timothy, he says, when you come, here I'm languishing in prison, bring the cloak which I left at Troas with Carpus. It's kind of cold in this dank dungeon. And the books. Don't leave without the books, especially the parchments. Now here the inspired apostle is saying, I need the scriptures. I need to continue to learn down to the day in which I lay my head on the block. Brethren, we should not be surprised that the wise pursue wisdom all their lives. It's not something that they graduate from, the school of wisdom sometime earlier, and, and now they just live off what they've learned the rest of their lives. Now Calvin says, this is our wisdom to be learners to the end. You see, this pursuit of wisdom throughout our lives is not optional for, in, for any Christian. Not to pursue wisdom is dangerous. And brethren, while innocence is a virtue, naivete is a vice. In the end, naivete may prove fatal. Proverbs 1 and verse 32, For the waywardness of the naive shall kill them, and the complacency of fools shall destroy them. 
Growing in wisdom isn't optional. Well, having sketched out Solomon's primary audience in Proverbs, let us look secondly at the practical purpose of Proverbs. I had originally entitled this point the pedagogical purpose of Proverbs, but, you know, that might be fine for a lecture. I don't know, for a sermon. That $2 word is more, is, is more precise, but it's less understood than purpose. Pedagogy refers to a method of instruction, and Solomon's method of instruction makes use of pithy and, and pointed statements, statements that arouse inter- interest, which are sometimes almost comical, often memorable, and always practical to communicate divine truth. Spurgeon, in his preface to his collection of quaint sayings entitled The Salt Cellars, not S-E-L-L-E-R-S, but C-E-L-L-A-R-S, The Salt Cellars, states that these three things go into making a proverb. Shortness, sense, and salt. What makes a proverb memorable is that it is brief, it is practical, and it is striking. And I suggest but three examples of the scores that could be chosen from the book of Proverbs. Proverbs 4, verses 18 and 19. But the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn that shines brighter and brighter until the full day. You can see that their pathway becomes more and more illumined, the wiser they get. Things over which they might have stumbled before, now they see them, they're able to avoid them. Now they're walking in the full light of biblical revelation as the day becomes full. The contrast here, the antithesis, the way of the wicked is like darkness. They don't know over what they stumble. Proverbs 22, or 26 and verse 17. This is very descriptive. It's almost comical. I still remember a previous president, Lyndon Baines Johnson, in the, court, or in the lawn of the White House. He had a dog with big floppy ears. I think a basset hound. And he picked that dog up by the ears and he swung him around in a circle. And I thought, wow, my ears hurt just watching that. He must not have read Proverbs 26 and verse 17. Like one who takes a dog by the ears is he who passes by and meddles with strife not belonging to him. That dog's going to bite you. You meddle with strife that doesn't belong to you, you're going to get nipped, right? Proverbs 27 and verse 14. He who blesses his friend with a loud voice early in the morning, it will be reckoned a curse to him. Well, in Solomon's day, like our own, there are some that just aren't morning people. You go in singing and maybe whistling, and you're going to maybe grind the teeth of somebody. No, but somebody comes in, they're just all happy and excited. It's like they've been up for a few hours, and you're just running, you're rubbing the sleep out of your eyes, and they're all chipper, and you haven't had your first cup of coffee. You're about ready to point them to the door. Well, in his prologue, in the first nine verses of chapter 1, Solomon plainly sets out his purpose in penning Proverbs. 
a purpose that is as practical as it is pedagogical. In verses 2 through 4, he states the goal for scholars in his school. Let's briefly just survey how Solomon proposes to educate the young and the naive. He proposes to educate them in his school that his students may learn instruction. This word means discipline. Not always corporal discipline, but to be, learn to be a disciplined person. To be chastened. To be corrected. See, all of his teaching is unto this goal. And the purpose of this instruction is that his students will be able, because of their understanding, to discern the sayings of understanding. That is, words which enable us to discern between good and evil, right and wrong. A good way, and a better way, and the best way. The goal of wisdom and instruction is that his students may receive instruction in wise behavior. See, it's not all intellectual. It's not just cerebral. If it's cerebral, we're not getting the point. This is to be translated into living, not just in the head, but to the heart and to the feet and the hands. Receive instruction in wise behavior, righteousness, justice, and equity. You see, these aren't just the sayings of wise men. This isn't just contemporary thinking. This isn't worldly wisdom. Wise behavior, righteousness, justice, and equity. That we may embrace instruction in prudent living. According to one commentator, all the attributes of one upright in all his relations to God and man. It's comprehensive instruction, you see. To every aspect of our lives, it speaks. To give prudence, knowledge, and discretion. And the idea is that one may be wise and careful to be, as Jesus teaches, wise as a serpent and innocent as a dove. To be street wise, we might say, but not to follow in the pathways of wickedness. In other words, Solomon's goal is to equip his students with the tools to live a godly life in this ungodly world. The overarching goal of Proverbs is that we may live lives characterized by wisdom. Well, what is wisdom? Wisdom has been variously described. I borrow Mr. Wardlaw's description and definition. The general idea of wisdom is that it consists in the choice of of the best ends and of the best means for their attainment. Wisdom in this book is generally understood in this, its highest application, as might indeed be expected in a book of instructions from God. We would hardly imagine a communication from Him confined to the mere prudential and successful regulation of our temporal affairs. In other words, it's not just for wise behavior and, and prudence in this world, in the things of this world. And we're preparing for another world. The great goal of Solomon's book as the rest of the Bible is to make us wise unto salvation 
and then to instruct us in living out true wisdom. So David teaches. Psalm 19 and verse 7, The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. God uses His Word to convert our dead souls, to make us living new creatures in Christ. The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. There we are again, the naive, to make the naive wise. Psalm 119 in verse 130, David writes, The unfolding of thy words gives light. We were in darkness before. We saw things dimly. Maybe like the man in Jesus' parable, who saw men walking about his trees. We need our eyes anointed so that we see men clearly, see the world around us plainly. The unfolding of thy words gives light. Notice, it gives understanding to the simple, to the naive. Writing to the young man Timothy, the aged apostle affirms the instructing, perfecting purpose of God's word. 2 Timothy chapter 3, he says in verse 15, from childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. And then he goes on to say, now having been brought to faith in Christ by the scriptures, all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. And that includes the book of Proverbs, because the all scripture that Paul had in mind at that time was the Old Testament. The New Testament was being written at that point. Let's face it, brothers and sisters, whether we're old or whether we are young, we are all simple or naive to one degree or another. That's why we must be diligent students of God's Word if we would learn prudence, knowledge, and discretion. So how do we get wisdom? Well, we get wisdom first by seeking it from the right person. And that right person, of course, is the Lord. He is the source of true wisdom. And therefore, we will miss true wisdom if we seek wisdom just as an end in itself. We're to go to the source and receive from His hand wisdom. We ought not try to seek wisdom apart from knowing the Lord more deeply. We gain wisdom by seeking the Lord. Colossians chapter 2, verses 2 and 3. Paul says that their hearts may be encouraged, having been knit together in love and attaining to all the wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding resulting in a true knowledge of God's mystery that is Christ himself, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. We need to go to him who has all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. We need to go to Christ. Indeed, he is wisdom personified. He is the word. That's why Paul says in Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, 
If then you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on the earth. We seek the Lord by searching out his word. It is there that he makes himself known. We can't do an end run around the word and go straight to Christ. Christ has revealed himself in this book. That's why he says what he does in John 5 in verse 39. He says, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is these, the scriptures, that bear witness of me. Further, Solomon urges us to seek wisdom from godly parents. This is plain throughout the book of Proverbs, chapter 1 and verse 8, chapter 6 and verse 20. We'll look at those next week. For children living at home especially, and for adult children, godly parents, that is those who know and love and live the truth, they should be our first human resource for wisdom. We see this in verse 8. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and do not forsake your mother's teaching. You see, we should not only seek to learn the truth from them, but re retain the truth that we've learned from them. Retain their instruction. Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 1. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. You see, children who retain their parents' godly instruction have a great advantage over those who reject what they've learned when they leave their home. And we've seen that tragically, have we not? They've, they've been to church. They've been in godly homes. They were raised by godly parents who taught them the word line upon line, precept upon precept, a little here, a little there. They've been catechized. They've been taught scripture memorization. They may have given evidence at one time that they were following the Lord, but after they left home, they ended up following the course of this world. Grandparents, if they are godly, are not to be despised because of their advanced age. You know, what does grandpa, grandma know? You know, they're over the hill. But they're also to be sought because of their wisdom, holiness, and experience. Proverbs 16 and verse 31. A gray head is a crown of glory. It is found in the way of righteousness. Not just any old man or any old woman, but a righteous senior citizen. Maybe you should call them seasoned citizens. Aged saints who have long trod the path of righteousness should be consulted by the young and inexperienced. You see, they have a proven track record over decades. You should, we should give them our ears. They who have lived long and right will rarely lead you wrong. Young people have a right to expect wisdom from older, more mature saints. Young Elihu, who waited until his elders had spoken to Job before speaking himself thought so. Job 33, or verse 30, chapter 32 and verse 7. I thought age should speak and increased years should teach wisdom. And so he remained quiet while he listened to his elders. 
Also seek wisdom from other wise and godly Christians. Observe their lives. Listen to their speech. Seek their counsel. Consciously imitate them as they imitate Christ. Paul could humbly command us in 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 1, Be imitators of me, just as I also am of Christ. I think young people tend to imitate the idiosyncrasies of of adults rather than their proven wisdom. So let me ask you, young people, from whom do you seek wisdom? Where do you go to find it? Well, let me ask you this. Do you even seek it at all? Or maybe I should ask you, who are your role models? You see, all of us imitate and are influenced by others, consciously or otherwise. Who are the most influential persons in your life? Who are your pattern people? Children, is it your godly parents and grandparents? Is it mature, proven Christians? Or is it rock stars and actors and the people who have made a name for themselves in this foul world? Further, we get wisdom when we seek it in the right spirit. We are promised wisdom if we seek it with a humble, receptive, teachable spirit. Solomon's father David possessed such a humble, dependent, teachable spirit. This is evident in his prayer. We read this earlier in the scripture reading this morning before one of our hymns. Proverbs 25, verses 4 and 5. David cried out to the Lord, Make me know thy ways, O Lord. Grab my attention. Make me know thy ways, O Lord. Teach me thy paths. Lead me in thy truth. And teach me, for thou art the God of my salvation. For thee I wait all the day. See, I don't want to be like that, that guy who was... He just was chomping at the bit. He had to do something. He's, even if it was wrong, it's like the guy that saddles up his horse and he rides off in four directions at once. David says, no, my heart is calm. I'm waiting. You teach me as I sit here calmly and quietly. Instruct me. I don't want to just do anything to do something. I want to do what's right. I want to know your ways. I want to walk in them. Finally, we will seek and gain wisdom when we value it above all things. We go after things that we consider valuable. Proverbs 16 and verse 16. Solomon says, and this is the richest man who ever lived. At least in his day, you know, he would have been the Elon Musk of his day. How much better is it to get wisdom than gold? It's good to get gold, but how much better is it to get wisdom? And to get understanding is to be chosen above silver. We need to evaluate things according to their real worth. And Solomon says that wisdom and understanding, knowledge, is to be valued higher 
than precious metals. Proverbs 2, verses 1 through 5. My son, if you will receive my sayings and treasure my commandments within you, if this is your desire, make your ear attentive to wisdom, incline your heart to understanding. For if you cry for discernment, lift your voice for understanding. And here comes the valuation part. If you seek her as silver and search for her as for hidden treasures, men tear mountains apart looking for hidden treasures. Then you will discern the fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of God. It comes to the diligent who place the greatest value upon it. And I'm afraid that many young people, like many older people, tend to value the things of this world far above what God values, and that is wisdom. They regard the most important thing as gaining possessions, gaining power, becoming popular, becoming wealthy. Tragically, they may barter their soul for what cannot satisfy in this life ultimately and cannot prepare them to meet the Lord. So our Lord asked, For what will a man be profited if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? And how many have bartered themselves into eternal oblivion by placing value upon things destined to perish with the using. Why do we need wisdom? Well, we need wisdom because we all inherited a moral birth defect, and the fact is we're all born fools. Proverbs 22, verse 15 again. Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. You see, our folly is so deeply ingrained in us, and we love our folly, that we don't want to become wise apart from grace. Proverbs 27 and verse 22. Though you pound a fool in a mortar with a pestle, along with crushed grain, yet his folly will not depart from him. You can't grind it out of him. It's so much a part of who he is, you can't separate it from him. And this is impossible apart from grace. We must be made wise unto salvation by the power of God's word by faith, as we noted earlier. 2 Timothy 3.15, For from childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. You see, the tragic effect of being born fools is that our folly makes us proud and stubbornly independent. We put our fingers in our ears and we don't want to listen to wisdom. And because we are proud and independent, we think that we're always what? We're always right. We're always right. If people don't agree with us, they're wrong. Proverbs 12 and verse 15, The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man is he who listens to counsel. And brethren, the world's wisdom promotes all manner of wickedness, we desperately need heavenly wisdom if we would not adopt the world's crooked thinking and its corrupt behavior. Romans 1 and verse 22 and following, professing to be wise, they became fools. 
For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper, even in the sight of worldly people. Isaiah 5 and verse 20, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. This is what we see on the news. This is what we see paraded before our eyes. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who substitute darkness for light and light for darkness, who substitute bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Philippians 3 and verse 19 speaks of those whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite. They live to satisfy their belly God, whose God is their appetite, and notice, and whose glory is in their shame. They glory in the very things that they should be ashamed of, who set their mind on earthly things. We just came out of shame month. Well, that's what you would say biblically. Just came out of pride month. People are proud of the very things they should be ashamed of. That's the kind of world we live in. You see, God must open our blind ears and hearts if we would see and hear and receive the truth as it is in Jesus. And therefore, simply attending church is not what Solomon commands here. He says that's a means to this end. But simply attending church will not save anyone. We need to experience the power of God's sovereign, regenerating grace. Until then, we will be, of, be as those of whom Jesus speaks in Matthew chapter 13, verses 14 and 15. You will keep on hearing, but will not understand. And you will keep on seeing, but will not perceive. For the heart of this people has become dull, and with their ears they scarcely hear, and they have closed their eyes, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and return, and I should heal them. What a desperate situation those folks are in. Well, may Jesus' description of those blind and deaf to the gospel fit no one in this room. And finally, and very briefly, We've seen the primary persons addressed. We've seen the practical purpose. And now the precious promise. Verses 5 and 6. A wise man will hear and increase in learning. And a man of understanding will acquire wise knowledge. See, we continue to acquire wise counsel. And to understand, excuse me, to understand a proverb and a figure, the words of the wise and their riddles. Now, notice that this promise assumes a condition. We grow in wisdom and understanding of Scripture to the, to the degree that we humbly recognize our ignorance and earnestly seek to understand the Word of God. If we come to the Bible with this reverent, dependable, or excuse me, dependent, teachable, obedient disposition, we are promised light from the Lord. He will diffuse a quickening ray. He'll open our eyes to see things that we haven't seen before. And even to understand the sometimes difficult expressions in his word. Those dark sayings. Brethren, chief blessing comes not in knowing, in the knowing, but in the doing of God's word. 
That's why Jesus said to his disciples in the upper room, if you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. James speaks similarly. James 1 and verse 25. One who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man shall be blessed in what he does. What a wonderful promise that is. Let me ask you in conclusion. Do you desire to grow in your knowledge of the truth? Then live what you learn. Jesus' promise applies here. For to everyone who has shall more be given. Let's pray. Our Father, how we have to confess that we are those who yet have, if, we, if we're true Christians even, the remains of the love of folly within us. How many times when we would turn away from wisdom and call folly our friend and to live against the light of what we have received and to dabble in the things of darkness. Oh Lord, have mercy, we pray upon each one of us, especially upon the young here, that you would spare them the kind of folly into which we have fallen. You would make them wise unto salvation, which is through faith in Christ Jesus, that they would listen and put in their hearts, they would hide it in their hearts that they might not sin against you. The word of God that grants increasing light until the full day and that they would turn away from the paths of unrighteousness and run in the paths of righteousness for your name's sake. That the words of their mouth and the meditation of their heart would be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, their rock and their redeemer. So Lord, hear us. Help us to be continual students, to not fold up our notebooks and put our, our, our sack of, of books away, but rather to be diligent students with the books ever open before us until our eyes grow so dim that we cannot read. And if we cannot read, we'll continue to hear and we'll continue to strive and run the path that is set before us, fixing our eyes upon Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. For we pray these things in his name. Amen.